Hi, I'm Dr. Elisa Herrera-Set. And I'm Dr. Tanya Goodrich. We're both doctors of physical therapy and moms, and we're the founders of Papaya Health, an online educational resource providing physical therapy care for down there. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Lisa. So uh, today I wanted to talk about how to prep for a cesarean delivery because last time we talked about how to prepare for a vaginal delivery. And exactly. So this is a perfect follow-up. Yes. And I actually had two kids with vaginal delivery. And I had two kids with C-sections. Right. So uh, tell us about it and tell us, you know, what are your reflections on how you could have better prepared yourself and what kind of advice you give moms about preparing when they know they're going to have a C-section. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about when someone has a C-section and they weren't planning for it and what they can do after. A surprise one. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that real quick. So I definitely feel like they're both called cesarean sections. You know, if you walk into one that was planned versus a surprise one, let's say you're in trying for a vaginal and it's just not working out. And so they end up giving you kind of more of an emergency one. And I really feel like they should almost be called different things because they're very different experiences in a way. Um, for me, I'll just go through my you know, personal experience first. I, my low was my first, he's 10 years old. And so he was actually breech in breech position. I tried the um, inversion, the aversion technique, and it was not at all what I expected mentally. I thought it was gonna be like a very gentle, like nudging of him, but it turned out it was not that at all. And I quickly stopped that procedure. It just was not working. Not so, to say that it doesn't work for other people. No, it's actually 50% of the time it works, which is an amazing, it's actually quite high of a percentage. So I would definitely recommend it. I just, nobody really prepped me for what that was going to be like. And I think that would have been helpful for the start. So actually let's start with that really quick. An aversion technique is where um, the physician or a few physicians will manually try to move the baby and turn them so that they're in a head facing down position. Um, and it's not a very gentle technique. So it's just a little bit more aggressive than I was expecting. I think it's so funny that you keep saying inversion technique, <laughs> but it sounds right? like you're saying aversion technique, uh, which I think you like had an aversion to the technique. Well, I just didn't know what to expect and nobody really prepared me for it. So that would be the first thing is sort of, if you need to get one, just kind of look it up so that you, you're mentally ready for that. That would have been very helpful for me. Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that actually it's interesting in my family are, my mom had breech babies and my grandmother did also. So we have a tendency to have what's called like a heart shaped uterus. So it's just a little harder for the babies to flip. So I knew walking in that I was going to have a C-section. And just for me, I, as a pelvic therapist, I thought for sure I was gonna have a natural vaginal delivery and that's not at all what happened. And it was a very good lesson in motherhood straight off the bat. Um, and I mentally had time to process that and go over it. And I walked in knowing what was going to happen. So that was the first just amazing clue. <laughs> Uh, so if you are planning on a vaginal C-section, I would say just to read If you're planning on a vaginal delivery yeah, or a C-section. If you're planning on a vaginal delivery, I still want you to know about the C-section stuff because it is possible that you will end up with a C-section. And so you don't want it to be too surprising mentally. So that's why this is an excellent podcast to listen to as well. Um, so yes, the, my first one was breach. And so I 
walked into one. And so for my second one, even though VBACs are wonderful and great mentally, it's a very personal decision. I decided to go with a second C-section. So okay. That's let's how back I up. up let's yeah. back up a bit. Back up a bit. Um, so you had, your baby was positioned. So they were head up. Yeah. And so you knew that your baby was going to be delivered um, even after, well, you tried to have the baby physically be turned so that they would be head down, but um, that didn't work out. So you knew you were going to have a scheduled C-section delivery. And just to go over it, I also did every other technique known to man to try to switch mm-hmm. positions. I even did the moxa acupuncture. I did a lot of swimming. I did handstands. I looked at spinning babies, all of which are great. They just happen to not work for me. Right. So yes, by 36 weeks, we knew it was going to be a C-section. Uh-huh. And then, so you had your C-section, and I guess later we'll talk about how to best prepare for that. Yeah. Um, but then your second baby, mm-hmm. um, you were talking about a V-back. And so I wanted to clarify for the listeners what mm. a V-back is. So a V-back is a vaginal delivery after a C-section. Mm-hmm. That's what that stands for. Uh, so that's just my personal story of how I ended up with two C-sections. And then going back to how to prepare for one, uh, the first thing I would want you to just understand is that they've gotten so good at C-section. So I want you to understand that that's still a wonderful method of delivering babies. I feel sometimes out there right now, it's all, you should only have a vaginal delivery. That's the only healthy thing, but really... I want you to know that having a C-section is also wonderful and taking that time to mentally understand that is super important for me. A lot of times women walk into my clinic and feel some a bit of shame for having a C-section and I would like to start dispelling that and just understanding that that's still an excellent way to have a baby. Right. I mean, I guess some of them come in to see you disappointed that they're going to schedule have a scheduled c-section but then also women come to you after they've delivered Mm -hmm. they've had a c-section and they feel almost ashamed like you said because they don't feel like they're deserving of all of the symptoms associated with vaginal delivery or so they think they think that it's not com they shouldn't be complaining about incontinence or Mm -hmm. vaginal pain or any of the other things that women after having a vaginal birth complained about because they uh, had a C-section. Yeah, that's exactly correct. You can still have the associated issues also related to a vaginal delivery, and you can also have some abdominal ones, and same goes for vice versa. Uh I joke that baby either comes out the sunroof or the door, and it's physical trauma. So first of all, nobody should feel ashamed about how they walk out after. It's no joke having a baby. So that's the first thing I want to acknowledge. Right. Okay, so how to prepare. How to prepare, yeah. So the first thing is nobody told me about that first poop after a (laughs) C-section. That was so surprising and actually maybe more painful than anything I had expected. So number one rule is know that you start you need to start prepping for that first bowel movement early and so what I mean is in terms of just like pain in terms of whenever you have abdominal surgery it sort of shuts down your digestion and you're also on some narcotics which are also inhibitory to producing poop so it's just a double whammy 
and I had no idea walking into that. So you wanna make sure you're hydrated. You wanna make sure you're getting some colace or stool softeners, talk to the nurse about that, and also eating really great foods that are healthy. So I, for some reason, after I had a baby, was craving like grilled cheese, fried food, <laughs> and I think that stopped me up right away. So I really want you to think about nutritious, soup and vegetables and a ton of hydration right and hydration doesn't start the morning you're gonna have you know a procedure right you need to get hydrated starting several days ahead of time with a good diet as well mm -hmm. so i would say decrease that greasy food and really get nutrition into your body mm -hmm. eat the things that you know help you have normal bowel movements exactly right okay what's next um what's next is i would make sure that you're prepared to know what's happening, what the procedure is. And so in a classic C-section, it's actually called a bikini cut in layman's terms, which I love because it's a low procedure. It's like under the underwear line and they go through a little bit of muscle and they kind of cut that area. And it's a little things that you wouldn't expect like rolling over in bed or getting up are really painful in the beginning but knowing how to brace yourself and how to use a pillow, for example, you wanna hug a pillow when you roll over and you want to start engaging those abs early will help minimize that pain. So just uh -huh. an understanding of where it is, what they're doing, where they're going, and then how to anticipate some of the pains that will come after. So let's get into a little bit of detail on that. Um, engaging your abdomen yeah. after you've had an incision in it. Yeah. Um, I think the words engage a muscle can be interpreted in lots of different ways by people. Mm -hmm. What people do when you say engage a muscle can be interpreted in different ways. So maybe you can be a little bit more specific about um, what do you mean when you say in, in, uh, early on engage those abdominals? Yeah, so in terms of engaging, what I'm looking for is, you know, even right now, if you put your hands on your hips and you go in, that's like the lower abdominal region. And that area needs to start working again. And so, for example, if you were to stand up, I would want that low abdomen region to go in, inwards, like it's kind of kissing the spine. And that will help engage, I have air quotes, engage that muscle as it's drawing in mm -hmm. and that is a great way to start to engage that core mm -hmm. because sometimes when people are asked to flex a muscle mm -hmm. they puff the muscle out and you can imagine if you have an incision that you won't you wouldn't want to puff out towards the skin kind of opening the area you want to pull in a little bit yeah it's yeah. an inwards motion mm -hmm. that is that's a great point um, so that would be point number two is don't be scared to start using that muscle in that inwards motion that will really help facilitate that healing process. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is early on knowing that you're going to want some ice and some to help again ice early on is such a great way to help reduce pain. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge fan of that. So again as early as we can getting off some of those more heavy duty painkillers, the better. Mm -hmm. So, and so, one. Mm -hmm. and let's let's be again. I'm always asking you to be more specific because sometimes, like, no, it's helpful. This you is know, great. yeah, people interpret. Don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for ice, as Tanya is saying, you want to put ice on to decrease the pain, but sometimes 
more isn't better. So you wouldn't want to put ice on your incision for an hour straight and just leave it there because while it does take away some of the discomfort, you do need the blood flow to be normalized in that area again in order for the area to heal. So again, you'll be at this point, you'll be with in the hospital too, and you can discuss that, but about, you know, 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and then taking a break. And then after an hour, you can use it again for 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And if this is your first time ever using ice on your skin, you probably want to um, test it out a little bit and test it on another part of your body and make sure you have a little barrier protection, not just have straight ice direct to skin or even ice in a plastic bag direct to skin. That could be kind of... Yeah, um, little paper towels in between. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, I think that was tip number two, yeah? No, it was three. So number number one was... um, Poop. The poop thing. Yeah. Yeah, number two was knowing what the what the procedure is, what is happening. And as a result of that, your advice was to uh, early on engage the abdominals because you're getting incision into the abdominals. And then number three was knowing that ice is helpful um, for decreasing discomfort. And then the fourth thing is I am a huge fan of the silicone scar tape. It's a fantastic tool to help decrease the scar. And that can just be worn directly over the scar after it's healed. And you can change that daily, but that stuff was a miracle worker. Mm -hmm. And then piggybacking on that concept is really scar massage and mobilization. And that is such an amazing tool for helping decrease scar scarring and adhesions and pain in that area. This needs to be done after the scar is healed, so at about six to eight weeks. And again, maybe we should add like a YouTube link on how to do this, but you're going to kind of, I call it playing the piano. So not directly on the scar, but above it and below it, you kind of massaging the skin and the muscle. And it's a playing of the piano motion. You can also do like a little bit of a sweeping motion mm-hmm. and you can use some texture sometimes. So like silk is really nice to mm-hmm. kind of get the the more superficial skin mm-hmm. nerves back. And I really recommend that at least once a day, but it helps with blood flow and healing and reducing keloids or scarring. And it's such a wonderful way to really just help prime that, that muscle area. Okay, so that tape, And the massage should happen after consulting with your physician. But we are giving you this advice so that you know that you should ask about it at some point. Exactly. The other thing that I would recommend early on is an abdominal brace. And this typically in the hospital, they should recommend one, but you can be proactive and ask for one. They often give you like a white sort of comfortable mesh-like brace. If you can kind of imagine in your head, people that have a bad back, sometimes they wear an external brace. That's usually a harder one. This is a softer one. And it's fantastic for giving the muscles some uh, support and compression. And I'm a big fan of those early on. Again, it helps your brain connect to that area and it helps to engage that muscle group. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To connect and learn more, visit our full website, www.papaya.health and follow us on Instagram at papaya.health. 
and on Facebook at We Are Papaya Health.